Welcome back to the McCann Dogs podcast, episode 46, as Shannon and I were just chatting about. We're excited to be here today. We're going to talk about some winter training tips for you and your dog. And uh, instructor Shannon is with us. She's the director of online training at the My Dog Can program. And she's got some really great training tips, things that you can do indoors uh, with your dog during these freezing cold winter months. I'm Ken Steep, and welcome back to McCann Dogs. Shannon, this is uh, the per- a perfectly timed article in our blog. I think it's a perfectly timed podcast because things are getting really cold outside. Definitely. And I wrote this because I struggle with it myself, and especially this time of year when it's so dark so quickly, and it's really hard to be outdoors when it's that dark and it's that cold. So my own dogs, of course, they still need exercise and mental stimulation, and my youngster still needs training because he's still a youngster. So I've got all sorts of um, tips and tricks that I've, I've amassed over the years that I thought I would put down on paper and try to share a little bit of. Yeah. I, now, a couple of years ago, you and I were doing a series for YouTube. Uh, we were do a trick a week um, and show those off. And I think people maybe uh, underestimate the value of uh, trick training. Um, I think it's such a valuable thing you can do with your dog. And again, in that confined space. And I see that it is uh, one of the points in your blog post about things to do uh, in the winter with your dog. Let's talk about the value of trick training in, uh, you know, with your dog, whether it's wintertime or not. Absolutely. I've actually written unique blogs on the value of trick training. There's so many reasons to train tricks and not the least of which I would say the most important reason that I like to teach tricks is that it helps my dog figure out how to communicate with me. It helps my dog figure out how to read me better. You know, there's no there's no pressure, there's no stress with tricks. The worst thing that ever will happen to my dog if they don't do the trick properly is they don't get a cookie for it. So tricks are a great way of helping your dog start to piece together that puzzle that says, okay, I understand what you mean. Because, you know, they are a different species. We're learning to communicate with them and they're learning just as much to communicate with us. So spending a lot of time teaching your dog tricks will only help that process move along quicker. It also teaches them how to learn. So with tricks, you can use distinct methods of teaching tricks. You can lure a trick. For example, if I wanted to teach my dog a spin, I would probably just use a little bit of food and I would lure him. And that's a great lesson that I can then use to lure sits or downs or a stand position, for example. I can teach my dog tricks through capturing. So Jaden, my uh, my first toller, had a great sneeze on command. And obviously that's not something that you can ever lure your dog to do. You pretty much just have to wait and hope and get lucky. And uh, it probably took me about a year of every time he would sneeze, I would capture that. I would say yes, and I would you know, either play with him or pull out a cookie if I had cookies on me. But I would pinpoint that behavior for him through capturing. And he learned after, you know, it took a long time because of capturing and because I had to wait for that behavior to occur naturally. But when he got it, he got it. And I would show off that trick and people were always amazed. How did you get your dog to sneeze on command? But that's another way of teaching your dog behaviors. And then the third is shaping. So shaping is basically teaching your dog, um, to offer it's successive approximations. So small, small movements or, you know, small progressions forward in a behavior. So that's how you get a dog that goes from, you know, 
putting a blanket in its mouth to then rolling in that blanket and wrapping themselves up like a little pig in a blanket sort of sort of joke. There's all sorts of things that you can teach your dogs through shaping that there's no way you'd be able to teach through luring, for example. So having a well-rounded dog who knows how to learn on all of those levels is a fantastic thing. There's so many more reasons to teach tricks. Another one is building confidence. You know, if I have a dog that's a little bit uh, uncertain in a scenario, and all dogs will go through that. So even if they're if they're young puppies and it's their first time at the vet, you know, rather than just having them sit and hope for the best, I'll be working on high fives and shake a paws and spins and whatnot just to put that dog at ease. And because it's a familiar thing, because they've been learning at home and now they're learning in this new environment where it's maybe a little bit scary, they'll start to build confidence in that environment. And of course, it's always fun to show off tricks. So there's a good reason right there to teach tricks is just to have something that you can say, hey, look how cute my dog is or look how smart my dog is and then show off those tricks. So, so many good reasons um, in line with this blog post is that it will help to drain energy. So we know that dogs will drain energy by physical means. You know, if you go out and throw 10 or 20 Frisbees for your dog, that is going to drain their energy quite a bit. However, you don't necessarily have that privilege in the winter. So mental stimulation is a great way to drain energy and it will tire your dog out actually quicker than physical exertion will. So having something to work on in the house, and especially if you're shaping tricks and they're actually thinking and their wheels are turning and they're trying to figure out what you want, that is going to help drain a lot of that mental energy. So having a five or a 10 minute shaping session with your dog will take that edge off. If you can't get outside, it's going to take that edge off and just make them easier to live with. It's going to make them more content. And of course, then you can relax as well because they're not running through the house and looking for mischief. Yeah, I really loved uh, using trick training when uh, with any of our dogs that uh, that we've had in like the grade one program, for example, because it really gives me a clear idea of what what they really find gratifying, what treats they love, for example, what things they're willing to work uh, really uh, hard for. I, I you know I really love I, I really love using trick training um, as sort of a to complement all of the obedience training that I'm doing. Not not just in uh, the uh, winter setting or you know for when I'm trying to burn off some energy, but I really find it to be um, a great learning experience for me as much as it is to be uh, it's a really cool thing to show off when your dog can you know do some amazing trick and your friends are all impressed that that is definitely one of the benefits of trick training of course <laughs> so in the uh winter time we're talking about training indoors a little bit more because outside just you know isn't a isn't a great environment to be working with your dog and let's talk about some of the places that you might be able to train indoors with your dog yeah, definitely. So, I, I mean, depending on your community, they, there may be lots of them and there may be some that uh, you hadn't really thought about. Uh, a lot of the times, churches and community centers, you could rent or you could get permission to go in and use one of those um, one of those places to do a little bit of training with your dog. You can go into pet stores most of the time with your dogs. Um, I'll usually go in and scope the place out first. I want to make sure that, you know, they don't have um, they don't have a cat running around, for example. Because if I've got a young puppy and I'm trying to do training with that young puppy, a cat's probably going to be too big of a distraction at that point. I might bring my older dog in to work on some more focus if there's a cat running around. But I also want to make sure that there's not a whole bunch of other people with dogs in there. And the reason for that is that sometimes you get people who aren't necessarily paying as much attention to their dog as you should, or as they should, pardon me. And their goal might be just to bring their dog in and it might be wandering around on a flexi lead and over in the next aisle 
tail where the person can't even see them. And if you're trying to do training with your dog and that dog is right in your dog's space, that makes life tougher as well. You want to be able to control distractions as much as possible, but I'll go at quiet times, you know, when there's not a lot of people there and I'll go, I'll go in, in PetSmart, for example, I would go into the, um, into the aquarium section where there's probably not going to be many dogs wandering around and I can control the distractions and I can work with my dogs. Um, our own facility here, all current students are always invited out for what we call drop-in training times. And that's because we know sometimes it's hard to train outside, whether it's winter or whether it's really, really hot in the thick of summer. It's it can be hard to get in a lot of repetitions and especially running if if you want to keep your dog safe. Sometimes in the summer, it's too, too hot for that. So we open up what we call drop-in training times where anytime a hall is available, a student, can, a student that is in classes with us currently can come out and work their dogs in that hall. And it provides an opportunity to get some training in in times where you might not be able to extend out your recall or extend out your stays where you don't necessarily have a lot of space. So check with your local obedience clubs or whoever you're doing your training with. See if they have something similar. See if they have rental opportunities for you. You know, there's all sorts of places that you might be able to rent a room in a building for, you know, maybe $10 for a half an hour or something along that line. And you can get get in and do some training. Um, a lot of times hardware stores will allow. I know some of them don't allow anymore. So check with management when you're there. And friends places too. Don't take that for granted. I will often go down to my sister's place. Yes, I want to see my sister and her family or my niece and nephew. They're great. But sometimes I want to be able to go and just train my dog a little bit with some distractions. And my niece and nephew create great distractions. And they're really wonderful when I say, okay, I'm training my dog. They're all they're gung-ho. They really want to get in there and help me do things so I can coach them on what distractions I want to use. So if you've got family that you know has um, have kids or distractions or you know that they will have no problem with you coming over and doing a little bit of training in their house, that's always a great thing as well. So good tips for indoor training. Yeah, and it's, it's so nice to be able to provide your dog with a variety of new challenges with some of these new distractions because those are that's really how you're going to get the uh, be able to proof the skills uh, that you really want to work on. Now, you talked a little bit about trick training, but what are some obedience skills that uh, you know your average dog owner could work on um, you know in in the dead of winter if they've uh, they're limited to the space indoors? Yeah, absolutely. I work a lot of stays through the winter and that is, they are so valuable. You know, people always say, and I myself get caught in saying this, okay, I haven't practiced enough stays. Stays are not nearly as fun to practice as, you know, playtime and as coming when called and response to name, all the action things, they're, they're motivating and they're lots of fun. Stays don't seem to be as exciting, but they're so, so important. For dogs to be able to function well with distractions, they need what we call a emotional control. So they need to be able to face a distraction and be able to think through it. And that is where stays come in so handy. If you can practice your stays and teach your dog to have emotional control in the face of distraction, that is going to pay off so much, not only with your stay exercises, but also with every other time that there's a distraction that your dogs face because they learn that set of skills. And we see dogs come into class all the time that we know they've really just, they've lived their life up to that point, being able to lunge out at the end of the leash to see whatever distraction it was they wanted. They come in on their back legs and they're dragging their, their handlers through the building. And I always think, you know, they, the dog's probably thinking life would be so much easier if they didn't have to drag this 130 pound person around behind them. But this is my lot in life. So be it. So I'll just put all my muscle into it and put my head down and go. And 
those dogs very, very quickly will start to learn emotional control once they've started to learn the stay exercises. And with stays, you don't need a ton of space because you can work distraction. So if I've got a room that's even like, you know, 10 by 10, I can build my stays to the point where my dog can have food falling on him and tennis balls rolling by and all sorts of distractions. And he is learning that whole time. He's learning all about emotional control. He's getting heavy duty reinforcement and rewards for holding that position, despite the fact that, you know, I just rolled a squeaking tennis ball across the room or I just pulled out one of my talking hamster toys and it went rolling across the room or one of my other dogs came in and played tug and my dog was still able to hold their stay. And then when spring comes and I get out there in the real world, those real world distractions are a piece of cake and it's going to help me improve on all those other skills like walking on lead and coming when called just because my dog now understands how to think through those distractions and how to have that emotional control. Yeah, I think it's important that we overlook the fact that you have a talking hamster toy um, <laughs> in this during this conversation. <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know, I was going to talk about the fact that I have Billy Bass on the wall that I use as a distraction for, <laughs> oh for my our gosh, my dog training. Those. But that's um, hilarious. <laughs> it's it's um when we talk about doing some of these uh, d these dog training exercises in a close space, we talk about you know using reward. We we we're going to reward the behaviors that we want to ultimately get. And one of the points I see in your article is to build value for positions. And I really love this idea. It's so funny how often people will say like, "Oh, I just love how much your dog looks at you," or "I you know I love they just can't they they love to pay attention to you." Well, part of that is because they're looking to us for information. We've rewarded them a lot, but a lot uh, part of that is also we've rewarded them in a, in such a way as they're going to look at our face for information. We've we've done a lot of look at me training. So our dog wants to look at our face, but when you're working in these confined spaces, talk about how you would build value for your dog being in a specific position. Yeah, absolutely. So if you break down your training into elements, for example, if I want my dog to walk nicely at my left-hand side on a loose lead, I want to build value for what we call control position. Control position is your dog in at your left side, whether they're sitting or standing, that is control position. So if I want my dog to have value and walk nicely on a loose lead, I can spend time reinforcing the fact that being at my left side is a really, really wonderful place to be. And the nice thing about that position is that I don't need a ton of space to instill that lesson. Basically, I just need, you know, that really small room. I need to be able to maybe take a step or two to guide my dog into position. And then I can build value for him holding that position. And I would, I would systematically go through distractions on that as well. I would work to the point where my dog can hold that position or stay in control position, either in a sit in a, or a stand, regardless of what else, what other challenges I've presented in that small training space. But basically that just teaches my dog being at my left-hand side is a great thing. And then when, again, when the spring comes or when I get out on my walks, he's got so much more value for being at my left-hand side that now teaching him to remain there as distractions come by in the environment out and about becomes easier for him. Another one I spend a ton of time rewarding as a position is sit in front. And that one, I cannot express enough. You know, we, we have dogs here that learn to come 
reliably very, very quickly. The challenge is usually the ending. It's not teaching them to come when they're called. There's so much reward in running to you. And there's there's so much reliability in the method that we use to teach the recall that says that, you know, you have to turn off of whatever it is. Great things happen when you do. There's lots of fun in the run and the chase. But then once the dog gets to you on the end of the recall, a lot of the times that's the part where the fun ends. So what I spend a lot of time doing with my dogs and I teach my classes this as well and all of my my dog can students this as well is build value for the sit in front so that your dog knows coming to you yes is very valuable but sticking around until you've been able to take control get them back on leash get them back to you know being under physical control with you depending where you are or what you're doing is such an important thing and that is such a valuable lesson so i'll spend time just teaching my dog when i stand up tall that means he should sit and then rewards come plentifully while he's holding that position and that's regardless of what i'm doing so i'll get to the point where i can drop food on the floor right beside him and expect him to still hold that sit i'll get to the point where my other dogs can run through the room and i expect him to still hold that sit i'll spend time reaching in taking a hold of the collar and rewarding him for remaining in the sit as i hold his collar because that really Really will be replicated anytime I call my dog to come to me and I go to clip on the leash I need to take his collar in order to do so and those are the games that teach your dog to hang in there with you and give over control to you rather than playing catch me if you can when you go to reach for their collar and take back control again so practicing those stationary positions is going to come in so handy and you'll be able to feed them into your other uh, other uh, obedience skills out there in the real world one of the exercises that we work on that sort of blends, um, you know, a, a action and excitement and fun and playtime with that sit in front is the uh, exercise playtime, settle and sit or playtime and settle. Um, and I see in the article you've uh, talked about it a little bit. And let's just tell our uh, our podcast audience what playtime and settle is and why it might be a great skill to work on with uh, your dog indoors this winter. Absolutely. This is a fantastic skill. And it is one of the first things that I teach a young puppy because I want to have an off switch. I want to be able to turn my dog on, get him excited, get him pumped, get him playing with me and energized. And then I want to be able to shut that down at a moment's notice. And this exercise is a fantastic way of teaching your dog just that. So you've got something to rely on when they have those moments where they, you know, lose their mind a little bit as puppies are, are want to do. We want to make sure that we can say, hey, now's not the right time for you to go running through the, the house Mach 10 with your hair on fire, tucking your tail and doing a, a zoomie or a puppy burn. You need to settle for a moment and just getting that control back with them so that you can control when they have those you know, those, those, uh, those puppy burns and when they settle is so important, but it's also going to come in handy for things like, you know, if they're jumping all over you because they're excited and they're still in training, you can work that settle and sit, and then you can reinforce that instead of trying to deal with this jumping dog. So it gives you a great exercise to teach your dog basic manners and basic obedience skills with just a little bit of body language and lots and lots of reinforcement. It's also great for small space training. Like I said, I can play with my dog in that, you know, 10 by 10 room. I can play with them and have lots of fun and then stand up tall, work that settle and sit. And I have taught him a fantastic lesson that I'll be able to use in all sorts of other situations in the future. So the um, I included the video when we when we filmed how to teach that in the blog post as well. So you can go and have a look at that if you're if you're uh, keen to teach your dog that playtime settle and sit exercise over the winter. Yeah, and I can definitely drop that link in the show notes below for for our podcast Perfect. audience as well. Now, um, I think 
something that we often see is people just coming out for a class when they're because it's the winter time they want to do more with their dog they know they can't get out you, you're not able to go on those maybe it's those long walks that your dog loves that's just aren't you aren't able to do or maybe you know it's an older dog and it's just too cold for them outside um, and you talk about finding a class uh, in your blog post and I think that's a great tip for people who are looking for something to do with their dog this winter. Definitely. And there's there's so many enrichment classes. You know, hopefully you're close to a good dog trainer that that can offer, you know, things like agility if you've got uh, if you've got a dog that's still capable of of doing agility. Uh, if you've got an older dog, you know, you might get into something where they're they're doing a little bit more um enrichment work that's not physically too demanding on them. Maybe get into an obedience class if you wanted to look at freshening up your skills. That is a great time because it's hard to get outside to train. So get into a class, at least you're going to have those repetitions once a week and maybe some of the bad habits that have set in with both yourself and your dog potentially will get cleaned up with that. You know, you might be able to find something like a, a rally obedience class that is lots and lots of fun. It's sort of a combination class where you get to do fun things and teach your dog fun new skills, but it's not, it's not a big impact on them physically. So if they're an older dog, you know, a rally class might be a really, really good idea. You can get into fitness classes with your dogs where you can use the use equipment to build build their strength and and build up their muscle tone and whatnot over the winter so that when you get back to spring and you start to really run them or hike them they're not out of shape at that point they're still they're still in shape so see what your local obedience clubs have to offer see what um, the dog trainers in your area have to offer and uh, think about taking a class with your dog or you could join us in the My Dog Can program. Join Shannon and I. I know that um, some of the conversations that we have are uh, about what people are doing with their dogs for fun, for entertainment, for training. And, uh, you know, our students come up with some really great ideas for like distractions and, and things that they do. Um, but we also talk about things like indoor games and about exercises you can do inside with your dog. And tell our podcast audience a little bit about the My Dog Can program and how they can become part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So My Dog Ken is our grade one program and we built it surrounding the idea that we wanted to offer something that we could fully support. So we didn't want to simply, we've been asked for years to put out videos of our training and we've always said no, 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 because we can't be there to reinforce people. We can't be there to support people. But this is, the My Dog Ken program has enabled us to say, hey, we can support people. You can call, you can email. Um, we've got a great Facebook group where we interact with our students constantly and and we're constantly talking about things that are outside of the scope of the my dog Ken program which is a really really cool thing because it helps to teach them how to be dog trainers so the skills that we taught we teach in the program are coming when called regardless of distractions and our recall program is second to none you know we have I would say I would venture to say the best results anywhere in the world because we have refined this program over 36 years. You know, this is definitely something that we have learned what works and what doesn't, what works long-term and what sort of falls apart long-term. And we've come up with what I would consider to be the best recall program that you'll be able to get anywhere. If you 
put in the work, you are going to have a reliable recall by the end of the eight weeks of the program. We teach the dogs to walk nicely on leash, regardless of what's going on out there. Keep a nice loose lead at all times, so you'll be able to enjoy your walks again. And we also work on sit and down stays, which of course we've talked already in this podcast about how important those stay exercises are. So we'll give you all the tools that you need to create a well-behaved family dog. We also work on things like tugging out. We work on teaching the dogs to drop objects on command. We'll work on, um, on making sure that all those manners are in place, jumping up skills, things like that. It's um, an eight-week program, so you get videos delivered once a week for eight weeks, but you actually have access to everything for four months. And right now you can take the first lesson for free to give it a shot and see what you think. We are convinced that you'll love it and you'll want to join us. And we're always looking for more hungry students to join us in the My Dog Ken program and we can help turn them into dog trainers. Well, and getting back to the um, that reliable recall, I mean, this is something that has uh, evolved over time, the training of the recall, how each student, you know, uh, receives the information. But over 80,000 dogs have been to McCann Professional Dog Trainers. And I mean, uh, this is the, the result is what you get in my dog can, you know, the result is all of the, 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 um, the evolution of the training, the, uh, you know, knowing what dogs respond better to different, uh, different ways of, of handling these situations. I mean, it's just remarkable. And I, and I remember thinking, and what may, what sort of brings me to this is I remember my dog uh, was two years old when I first brought her to McCann professional dog trainers. And I thought she is too stubborn. There's no way she never listens to me. There's no way that we're going to see a change. And uh, I was, my vet told me to go to uh, McCann Dogs. I went there and it, you know, it wasn't like flipping on a switch. There was work involved. I needed to, you know, give her good information, but you know, the support, the McCann method, it just, it, it literally changed my life with that dog, with, with Deegan. And it helped me to fall in love with dog training. You know, it was just so clear to me because it was so clear to her. And after our grade one program, you know, I had a dog who would come when I said, when I called her, you know, she'd sit and stay and I would have not never in a million years would I have imagined that would be the case. You know, I just needed to sort of raise my expectations and have access to, to this information as well as, as the instructors. So it's really something I'm excited to be able to share it with our podcast audience. I'm excited to be able to help people to have the experience that I had, help people to sort of see that the, what their dog is capable of, um, because yeah, it really is from- amazing. Sorry, to go from thinking of her as stubborn and that she'll never listen to you to now she's just an amazing part of your life where you you no longer think of her in that derogatory sense. Now she's your friend. She's your buddy. She's your dog. You love her. It's amazing. I love that. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, it changed our relationship. And, uh, you know, I, I owe a great uh, debt of gratitude to McCann Dogs for not only the opportunity to talk to our podcast audience today, but for really showing me what dogs can do you know, really making it clear to me how incre- what incredible animals they are. But on that note, I want to thank our podcast audience for hanging out with us today. And uh, I hope we provided you some uh, with some ideas for things that you can do, some winter training tips for you and your dog. And certainly, Shannon, I want to thank you for joining us as always. Another great blog post. If you guys at home are, uh, want to check out Shannon's blog, you can check out uh, mccandogs.com and I'll, I'll drop a link in the show notes below but you can uh, you should definitely um have a glance shannon writes some really great articles there but again thank thank you shannon for all the great conversation oh thank you this was fun again and if this is your first time on our podcast make sure you hit that subscribe button we publish new episodes every single week to help you to understand the why behind how dogs think and learn on that note i'm ken 
And this is Shannon. Happy training. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.